Where are our thoughts as we enter into a new year? Some people make um, resolutions and break them three weeks later. Um, I watch, I always drop in on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, or whatever it's called. I turn the TV on, and our family watches some of this on New Year's Eve. And on, on this show, it's sort of the showcasing of pop culture's trends that went viral in the last year. And so we got to see some of that this year. The question of the week was, that we asked last week, some of you answered, the question was, what might go viral this year? What's going to go viral in 2019? A couple of answers here. Someone said, City Life Church. Sunday school answer. Um, Somebody said, Compassion, hopefully. Someone else said, The Measles, thanks to the anti-vaxxers. Somebody else said, who cares? Viral things are like the grasses that rise in the morning and at night fade away. Yeah. You know, at this very moment on this very day, it's January 6th, and there's a whole bunch of things that are not viral at all that are happening throughout the world. There's a whole bunch of practices today that, are, that have been going on for a long time, and they're not going to catch on in any new way necessarily. They're just going to happen today, and they're going to happen again a year from now. Some quite strange things that are going on on January 6th throughout the world today. In, the, in a place called Holland, Michigan, there's this church called Christ Memorial that's gathering their dead Christmas trees into the church parking lot to light them on fire and to stand around and watch all these trees burn. The picture right there, and then um, let's, see, let's see the next slide. In a bunch of places around the world, people are writing these strange things in chalk on their door or on the the doorway. Plus twenty C M B, and then this year it would be nineteen, and then plus. What's going on? Very strange. In places, uh, particularly around the Mediterranean and in Greece, uh, there's towns that, that are on the water that today, these priests of the Orthodox Church will come out surrounded by villagers and will go to the edge of the water holding in one hand a dove, a white dove and a wooden cross in the other. And the tradition varies, but as is a part of all of it, there will be this group of mostly young men that as soon as the priest throws the cross into the water, dozens of these young men will jump in, eager to try to get that cross, and then bring the cross back, and whoever gets it will get a special blessing from the priest. And then the priest will release the dove into the air. January 6th, every year. And then um, throughout the world, especially Latin America, but in all kinds of places, including Sacramento, there are people who go down to the bakery and buy a, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but they'll buy a rosca de reyes, this round cake. Do we have a picture? Yeah, we have it. The cake of the kings. So people in Sacramento will probably go down to La Esperanza's bakery on Franklin Boulevard and get one of these cakes and bring it home to the big family gathering and cut up pieces of this. And the person in the family who gets the piece that has a little miniature king figure, like a figurine, the person who gets the piece with the king in it 
has to throw a big party in February for everybody and then buy the cake next year. Rosca de Reyes. So there's all these things. What is going on with January 6th? What's going on? Well, it's epiphany. And this is the global church community trying to grapple with, since the very earliest of times in the Christian church, the first few centuries, how to embody the things that we look at and think about on Epiphany. Epiphany is basically the time, we, we think about this time between the manger of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. So some focus more on the, the kings bringing their gifts to the shepherds. Some focus on like the water of blessing where that cross is thrown into the water. They're thinking more about Jesus' baptism. But it's that, that's kind of the epiphany segment of the Christian story. And the themes that really dominate, that really come out strong everywhere, especially relating to the magi. The magi, the wise men coming from far away, bearing these gifts for Jesus. The themes that come out of that are that Christians, like the light bulb went off as the church began, that this this gift, this thing that Christians have in Jesus coming, that it is not for a private minority or for a private majority. It's something that is for all. And so the three wise men are these foreigners coming with no credentials and no real concern for Jewish law or Torah or any of the Jewish traditions or the Israelites. They just come, and with their very behavior, they're, they're not just saying, ah, oh, we bless you and your king. They're coming with these presents and they're saying, this baby king is for us too. This baby is our king also. And so from the outset, the Jesus movement had this very clear sense right from the beginning and that symbolism of the magi coming. It was very clear that the gift is for sharing that the gift at the center of Christianity is for all. The gift at the center of Christianity is must go out. And the church wants to be a part of that. The Apostle Paul in the reading from Ephesians that we read, you, you sensed what he was de- kind of explaining to us and to that early church that he was writing. He had helped go around to those places like Ephesus and talk about Jesus to all these people. Well, the thing was, they were Gentiles. And one of the ways that the earliest church, because they were all just Jewish people hanging around Jesus and then going out from there, one of the things, ways that they captured the epiphany spirit was to talk about that it's, Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. We don't really talk that way today, but that was their way of saying he came for everyone. Whoa, and this was completely out of their radar screen, and Paul's saying, I'm actually, I've been entrusted with this mission to be the one who who goes out and particularly has the job of speaking to Gentiles in all these different places, like a preacher to Gentiles, or bring this gift to all these unexpected people. So the gift is for sharing. And it's not just Paul, it's not just apostles and people with big titles to do this because right there in Ephesians 3 verse 10 Paul says this that God's intent was that now through the church now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known epiphany made known revealed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms so 
Paul is saying, yeah, he had this sort of special calling, but it's not just him. It's the whole, he's, he's urging on and equipping everyone who's in the Jesus movement to share. That goes up against the grain of uh, humanity, really, doesn't it? Um, it goes, it's, uh, it's an upstream kind of thing that we're talking about with Epiphany. Because the, the great flow of human history is towards hoarding what you have, towards keeping, and not thinking really at all about who out there might also get in on the action. And so history is filled with hoarding schemes for territory, for influence, for power, for money, for profits, for stuff, and we feel it all around us still today. It's not something we've grown out of as a human race. It's still there all around us. Particularly, we're drawn into it in different ways in the Christmas season as it's, there's a lot of focus on stuff and on buying and on consumerism. And then people are thinking about the year end and they're thinking about money-related things at the year end and is going into tax season, right? It's a time where we're actually the season we're drawn into that sort of, okay, what do I have? What's mine? And Epiphany comes into that with a different message. You know, one example this week, I was, uh, maybe you caught this headline, but there's pe- someone noticed that in 2018, uh, that the billionaires of the world, like the richest people, the billionaires of the world, that set of people, whatever the number is, that they collectively lost $511 billion through, you know, investments and things not going well. $511 billion were lost by those you know, the, the Warren Buffett, the Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, um, all these, you know, billionaire people, they lost $511 billion. So it wasn't, so 2018 wasn't a very successful year in the hoarding. And, you know, so our culture, in some ways, we're hoping next year, 2019, will be a better year and that number will maybe be reversed. And I was thinking, I was really thinking about that and I was thinking, I'm really glad. I didn't lose that money because I don't think I'd be able to afford it. (laughs) So what's going on with our greedy hoarding? The Bible and Jesus tell us something about what's going on. This is how the Bible and the Christian story would tell us what's happening with our treasures on, on earth, is that in lieu of having an ultimate treasure, In lieu of having an ultimate treasure, our nature is to seek after superficial ones. So let that sink in. In lieu of having an ultimate treasure, our nature is to... We need a treasure at the center of our life. And in lieu of finding an ultimate one, we we, we go out, we're looking, our eyes are open, and we're trying to gather a treasure that will do. But something interesting is mentioned by Paul in this passage in Ephesians 3. In verse 8, he says something absolutely fascinating, and I think it's the key. He says, although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace is given to me, and then catch one of these words, a couple of words in here, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. See, the, the Bible puts it this way, that the thing, the reason why Jesus is such a big deal, the reason why the, what the Christians talk about as the gospel and, and the grace of Jesus is such a big deal is because 
They're boundless. What comes to us is a boundless treasure. It's a, in other words, it's limitless. There's no end to it. It's a, it's a limitless treasure. When you get a limitless treasure in your life, when you finally get a limitless treasure, it changes how you behave. Now, I just was talking about how there's superficial treasures and there's ultimate treasure. This is even true with superficial treasures. If you suddenly come into being one on that list of billionaires and you, have, you can't even conceive of someday that you don't have enough money and you just have that much, there's no way you'll ever not have loads and loads extra. If you somehow get into that category, that will change a whole bunch of things about how you, you live. When suddenly there's, a, there's zero worry about what kind of resources you have to throw at problems in life, You'll cha- it changes you. It changes your outlook. It changes how you look at things, looks at problems in life and opportunities. And in the same way, when, you, when a Christian finally catches the gospel, when the love of Jesus and its hugeness and its limitlessness finally sinks in as, as that final secure treasure that nothing can put at risk, there's this, it's like an aha moment. It changes you from the inside out. And it, and it directs your attentions towards the, the smaller, superficial treasures around you. And you say, oh, money, property, health, stability, stuff. Those are all practice treasures. Those are all superficial ones. Those are, in a way, those are counterfeit. Like when you're playing a board game like Monopoly and you kind of you pretend and you play with this money, but you put it in the box and you just, in the end, it's just you put it in the box and it goes away. You know, it's kind of like training wheels, and once you learn how to ride a bike, you take the training wheels off and you toss them to the side. And that's kind of what can happen in a Christian's life when the aha moment happens and the limitless treasure that you now have that you were sort of chasing after with all those superficial ones, you now have the ultimate one and you're, you kind of throw away the training wheels. You kind of dispense easily of all these other things. That's what can happen when the um, treasure of the gospel sinks in. It's this treasure that that we know of like when the perfect king of all creation, the king over all creation who made all things, when he showed up in a feed trough as a stinky little baby, something cosmic shifted for us. This unearned treasure of mind-boggling worth suddenly became completely available to us. And that's the gospel. And it's confirmed again as you read through that story of what happened to that little baby as it grew up and it made its way to being Jesus on the cross, dying on the cross, and rising from the the tomb to life on the third day. That human became this sacrifice for the world's sin, but then also became this strong warrior to defeat death. And in all of these things, we're reminded, yes, you know, I might have inside myself this sense of like, well, I have, I have to figure out how to make myself available to God. I have to make sure I'm doing enough to make myself able to be connected to God in some way. And God's saying through all of these actions in Jesus, from the manger to the empty tomb, God's saying to us, I made myself available for you, completely 
blowing your mind. I made myself available in a way that you completely don't deserve, you can't achieve, you can't earn. And so we learn as a church that the two treasures, the, the treasure of God's love and the treasure of the smaller treasures of our stuff, that because there's such an incredible availability of God has become our new treasure, that these treasures are actually interrelated. They're not separate things. In all kinds of ways, our greed and our human brokenness wants to separate the treasure we have in God from our little practice treasures and not imagine that they interact with each other in some way or interrelate to each other, but they naturally do. And so they're necessarily linked by the sense in which your heart no longer has to grasp after all of these superficial ones because you've got God at the center of your life. That's what the global church is trying to do through a lot of these epiphany, epiphany practices. They're trying to figure out how to live out before the watching world since the earliest of days of Christianity, how to live out amidst the watching world this sort of releasing, this sort of giving of gifts. At the very beginning of the church, there's an incredible example of this when we read in the book of Acts in chapter 2, where it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So they were really, really connected to the treasure of God and this teachings of Jesus, the, the, the cross and the empty, empty tomb. But then it says this, it affected their treasure, their, their superficial treasures. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The, the, the point is, it's a big deal is made of the interconnectedness of what you have in the world around you. About two decades ago in downtown Sydney, Australia, members of Pitt Street Uniting Church befriended young people who lived near the church in an abandoned warehouse. The church people asked whether the squatters might like to come to church for tea or conversation or even a worship service. And the young people, many of them runaways, drug addicts, or prostitutes, said they wouldn't dare. God might strike us dead, one explained. They did, however, like having the church members visit their warehouse every now and then to pray. After one of these prayer visits, a youth asked in an elaborately casual tone, I don't suppose you'd ever have a mass in, in squats, do you? The way Pitt Street answered that question embodies the true spirit of epiphany and offers a mission-focused direction for churches to follow on Epiphany and the Sundays from then till Lent. One night, several Pitt Street members packed up the communion linens, robes, fine bread, wine, and their best communion plate. Church people and squatters sat in a candlelit circle and went through a complete communion liturgy. A few squatters mumbled along with the responses, remembering things from past times. Dorothy McRae McMahon, who pastored the church at the time, said, As we gave them the elements, they wept with gratitude, and their faces filled with wonder and joy. The church members shared their story at the next Sunday service. Brothers and sisters, we have seen the Christ. The Eucharist will never be the same again for us, they said. This recognition of Christ's presence in ordinary life wasn't limited to, what, to that warehouse epiphany. 
McRae McMahon and her congregation opened their eyes to how their culture of moderate affluence prevented others from finding Jesus in their midst. They began interacting more with homeless and low-income neighbors. Their, de their debates shifted from how to correctly celebrate the Eucharist to how to become more inclusive. Friends, as we gather today on Epiphany, we've got this project that just kind of fits like a glove with Epiphany. Bringing things to partner with an organization in town, doing the dirty work, the behind-the-scenes, non-glamorous work of finding those who just don't have enough and probably have too much pride to ask for help and need things for the smallest and most vulnerable people in this city. And we've said, let's just do this tiny thing um, to bring gifts to mothers and babies in need and put them in a pile and involve our children all to just teach and to remember that this incredible, limitless treasure we have is making its way out through our hearts and must begin to show itself in our interaction with the world around us. Let's pray and ask for God's help in this. Our great God, on Epiphany Sunday, we pray for the mothers and babies to whom these gifts will go. And some of them, just their support network may be great. Others may have very little in terms of uh, a support network. And so we especially lift them up and say and ask that you protect these little babies and their mothers from all the things that they might face and that you watch over them in a special way. Open our eyes as your people, as the body of Christ, to the world around us to which you're leading us to share. In Jesus' name we pray, asking for your Holy Spirit's help.